Our primary reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 8, the whole thing. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor besides the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since they are already priests who offer gifts required by the law. They serve in a system where worship is only a copy a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning, be sure to make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made through their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant, new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. I'm glad to be with you all at Parkside Church. My name is Alex Trays. I'm a recent arrival to Charleston. I moved here about a year and a half ago from Durham, North Carolina. I currently serve as a hospital chaplain with Roper St. Francis Healthcare, and I'm discerning ordination in the Presbyterian Church. I come to you this morning from Second Presbyterian Church, where I'm a member. In last week's sermon within a sermon, in our letter to the Hebrews, we met Melchizedek, high priest and king. 
In that text, our preacher, likely Apollos, addressed his Jewish Christian audience at a time when there was not yet a distinction between Judaism and Christianity, when there were not yet written versions of the Gospels. No Apostles' Creed. In last week's passage, Apollos drew on existing Jewish beliefs about Melchizedek and his legacy as narrated in Genesis, and which dates back to before Abraham, before Israel, before the establishment of institutional religion. Apollos harkens back all the way back to Melchizedek to illustrate that Jesus is the completion of God's plan for the one and only high priesthood with a capital H and a capital P. Jesus is the eternal high priest. The high priests of Apollos' day, temporary, a stopgap until the fulfillment of God's plan in Jesus. As the eternal high priest, Jesus guarantees us better access to God than the earthly priests, and following guarantees us a better covenant with God. Apollos wished to convey to his Jewish Christian audience that they don't need established religion or the high priests of their day or the law to have their sins forgiven or to be saved. Jesus is the sole savior, guarantor, and intercessor with God. And Jesus will always intercede on our behalf with God. We don't need religious leaders. Sorry, Colin. And sorry to my future self. We have a direct line in Jesus and to Jesus. In our text today, Apollos draws several contrasts to further illustrate this point. He once again contrasts the earthly high priest with Jesus' high priest with a capital H and a capital P. And within this contrast, he draws two additional comparisons. The earthly tabernacle versus the heavenly and true tabernacle and the old covenant compared to the new. He jumps right to the point in our first verse, saying, now, the point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord and not by a mere human being. Here, y'all, Apollos lifts our gaze from the earthly to the heavenly realm. And in so doing, emphasizes the importance of where Jesus' high priestly ministry takes place. Not here, but in heaven. So unlike the Levitical high priest of Apollos' day, Jesus sits down at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven And without directly referencing the text here, Apollos echoes Psalm 110, which prophesies that the coming Messiah will be in the order of Melchizedek and that this Messiah will sit at the right hand of God in heaven. Jesus, Apollos wishes to reinforce, is that very Messiah that has been prophesied. And again, unlike the Levitical high priests, Jesus dwells at the right hand of God in the sanctuary, in the true tabernacle set up by the Lord and not by a mere human being. True in the Greek here means not false or real or authentic. And so those earthly priests whose ministry stretches back a thousand years, 
They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. So then what is Apollos referencing here as the true tabernacle? Here with the mention of that word of tabernacle, Apollos hearkens all the way back to Moses and to the Israelites wandering in the desert after God delivered them from slavery and oppression in Egypt and correspondingly to the old covenant from our text from Exodus this morning. Tabernacle means dwelling place, the dwelling place of God. And in the time of the Israelites, this tabernacle was portable somehow. It traveled with the Israelites as they journeyed through the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 25, we learn that God instructed Moses on Mount Sinai on how to build this tabernacle. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them in that dwelling place. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And as we learn in this text, God was very, very specific about how God wished this tabernacle to be built. In fact, God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 25, be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you on the mountain. And later chapters, God continues to give detailed blueprints to Moses down to the very colors of the curtains, down to the inch for dimensions. It's very specific. God designed and planned this tabernacle in the wilderness as a place of sacrifice and worship and to contain God's presence. This tabernacle was a gift that God offered to the Israelites at a time of great uncertainty and discomfort. Imagine the Israelites unmoored in the wilderness without a home. God offered them a blueprint for a spiritual home and one that they could carry with them. God also provided laws to organize their society according to God's will, and these laws inscribed on stone tablets comprise what we know as the Ten Commandments, handed to Moses on Mount Sinai. We know the scripture, then Moses went down to the people and instruct, repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him, and the people answered with one voice, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. And these laws... These Ten Commandments constitute this old covenant that Apollos is speaking of in our text for today. So the earthly tabernacle that God had these very specific blueprints for, Apollos is saying now that was just a copy. That was a shadow of what exists in heaven. It was made in good faith. It was made at a time when it was needed, but it was human-made and therefore imperfect, an approximation of the divinely created real thing that exists in heaven. So why does this matter? Because Apollos preaches, earthly high priests carry out their work of sacrifice and atonement in a copy and a shadow of the real thing. It's not quite a knockoff, but it's almost like the two-dimensional version of a Van Gogh painting you see in a textbook. But when you come face to face with it in a museum, you see it come to life with all of its textures, vibrant colors, and movement. It's just not quite the same. And what's more, if Jesus were on earth, he wouldn't even be a priest in one of these tabernacles. For there are already priests who offer gifts prescribed by the law, 
And as we learned last week, the law prescribed that high priests were required to be of the tribe of Levi, which Jesus was not. And they were required by law to bring an offering to the altar. Animals like bulls and lambs, foods and staples like grains and oil. But Jesus, our high priest, offered his very self in sacrifice. And not on the earthly altar, but on the heavenly altar of God in the true tabernacle. In a move that was likely radical for his time then, Apollos is urging his Jewish Christian audience to focus on Jesus and the heavenly tabernacle and to not get too attached to that second temple in Jerusalem, which at the time served as the center of established religious life. The second temple in Jerusalem was where high priests offered sacrifices to atone for their own sins and for the sins of the people on a daily basis. Asking his audience to shift their focus to Jesus was likely pretty controversial in the same way that Moses and the Israelites would have viewed the tabernacle in the wilderness. Those listening to Apollos would have viewed the second temple in Jerusalem as the house of God the center of their faith and their holy pilgrimage site as the place where they would encounter God on earth, mediated, though, through the ministry of the high priests. Imagine in that day, y'all, saying anybody can approach God, anyone, without priests, without a temple, and that anyone who approached God through Jesus entered the true and heavenly tabernacle And that might have seemed pretty out there at the time, and maybe even a little heretical, perhaps dangerous and threatening to the establishment. Paulos is indirectly telling his listeners that second temple in Jerusalem, that place you consider to be the holiest place on earth, you don't need it anymore. Imagine saying a thousand plus years of tradition and accompanying stability is obsolete. What's been known for generations no longer applies. Because Apollo says there's something better, there's something newer, there's something closer to God, there's Jesus. And I imagine these claims carried political implications as well with that established religion so firmly in place. You can imagine the stakes then for those listening to this sermon, deciding what do we do? Do we abandon the establishment and go religiously rogue? The stakes were likely high. Those earthly priests, obsolete. No longer needed. Apollos was trying to put a bunch of people out of a job. And why are they obsolete? Because Jesus, our high priest, sinless and without fault, made the ultimate once and for all sacrifice, rendering any further earthly sacrifice and any kind of tabernacle or temple unnecessary. No longer had to go to the temple every day with a sacrifice. It was done once and for all. Theologian N.T. Wright sums it up by saying, Jesus achieved in a single great sacrifice that to which all previous sacrifices pointed, but which they could never bring to perfection. They could never bring 
to wholeness or completion. That first covenant, Apollos preaches in verse 7, if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. What Apollos is saying here is that there was something wrong with that first covenant in the sense that people didn't follow it. They fell away. They promised to obey, but they didn't. The people didn't keep their faith, but God did. God, in God's mercy, even though the people fell away, didn't follow the law, God offers something new in Jesus. Apollos references this long text from Jeremiah in our scripture from today. And this is the longest, y'all, and not just for the letter of Hebrews, but for all of the New Testament, Old Testament quotation. And this text would have been familiar to the Jewish Christians hearing Apollos. Why on earth include this very long quotation? Through this prophetic text of Jeremiah, Apollos states that God and Jesus has fulfilled a long foretold promise. God and the Messiah in Jesus has established this new covenant long ago prophesied. And in this new covenant, we hear, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The incredible part, this new covenant is open to anyone, to the least and to the greatest. And as Jeremiah prophesies, no longer would they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. And Apollos references this text to tell his listeners, because of Jesus, you no longer need religious authority. Because of Jesus and Jesus alone, you are forgiven, no matter your status, your background, your bank account balance. You don't have to travel to the second temple anymore with a sacrifice in your hands to access this new covenant and to be forgiven because Jesus served as the sacrifice for all time. You could be here at Parkside Church. You could be in the comfort of your home in Jerusalem self. Not only does God offer this new covenant to everyone, but in and through it, again, y'all, all sins have been forgiven. All. All of them. No exceptions. There's no fine print here. There are no loopholes. All sins have been forgiven. Thanks to God's mercy and God's love for us, God offers us all time forgiveness through this new and renewed covenant, this new promise. God is offering God's people a second chance, the chance to be renewed. What good news for us that Jesus, when he placed himself on the heavenly altar of sacrifice, also placed us there too. And Jesus, knowing our humanity, having lifted himself, but in a faultless, sinless, and blameless way, 
Jesus laid down all of our human frailties, all of our foibles, and all of our faults on that heavenly altar. He laid down all the things we don't like about ourselves, all the ways we fall short, even as we try our very hardest to be good and to do good. We want our lives to be acceptable offerings to God. Yet we may worry that we don't do enough, that we haven't done enough, given enough, cared enough, succeeded enough. But thanks to Jesus and that sacrifice, it is enough. You are enough. Those sins of yesterday, God already forgot about them. We may judge ourselves harshly, my friends, and others may judge us and find us wanting. But thanks to Jesus' ultimate sacrifice and not a system of laws and rules and requirements, we are made whole. We are healed. We can rest in the promise that thanks to Jesus, no matter what we have done or left undone, we are loved and we are forgiven. And we don't need a high priest to commute that for us or to mediate that forgiveness for us. So, is the new covenant better than the old? The language of superior and better here does not necessarily mean that the old covenant was bad and that the new covenant is good, but rather that this new covenant embodies a greater fulfillment of God's long foretold promises. This new covenant is a renewal of God's promises, and in that renewal, it's more complete. Thanks to Jesus, that's why it's better. It's a holy upgrade. Apollos doesn't necessarily dismiss the old covenant as false, but sees it as a foreshadowing of the new covenant promised by God and fulfilled in Jesus. So the new covenant came into effect the moment Jesus sacrificed his life on the heavenly altar. The old, it's been phased out. God continues again and again, my friends, to offer us the promise of the new covenant. We heard it today with the baptism of new folks here in the church. Those little ones were baptized into this new covenant, into this new covenant that promises love and belonging and forgiveness. No offering required. So what do we do with this good news of the new covenant. My friends, God has removed all the obstacles, all the requirements for sacrifice, all the barriers between this earthly realm and the heavenly. We each have the opportunity to have a personal relationship with God and heaven through Jesus. And this opportunity is for everyone, for people we like, For the people we don't like, for people we pass on the street, for people we might hold a grudge against, even for us and all our imperfection. Relationships, too, take work. They take intention, commitment, and dedication. 
even if we forget about that relationship for a little while, it is always there for us. Can we then approach Jesus without hesitation, without shame and fear? Thanks to the new covenant, the answer is a resounding yes. You are invited to this party where Jesus is the host. But I wonder, are fears of imperfection holding you back? Are past failures potentially hanging over your head? Times when you've been less than kind? Times when you've let yourself down or others down? Are you standing at the proverbial door to that true tabernacle, scared to knock, worried that you shouldn't? Maybe worried your clothes aren't nice enough, that you won't fit in, that you're too far gone to be saved, that you didn't bring a gift. It's no matter. Go ahead and knock. Jesus is ready to welcome you in to the new covenant this day and all days to come. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.
All right, you ready for the hot seat? Ready. These are some tough questions. All right. <laughs> okay, do we need to worry about trying not to sin since we're under the new covenant? This is a great question. <laughs> <laughs> so this new covenant, I understand to be one that offers this eternal unconditional forgiveness. And we didn't talk about this in today's sermon, but Jesus also gives us a new commitment to love the Lord God with all your mind, all your heart, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So with these commandments, no. <laughs> but I think, y'all, it's, it's a reminder to us that given our human nature, given our propensity to mess up, and not because we're flawed you know, inherently, but because we're human beings, things are gonna happen. We are gonna make mistakes. We are gonna fall short. We're gonna have bad days. There are times when we're gonna respond in a way that we're not proud of. Um, but we can always continue to try again and to try to live into this new covenant with gratitude and to respond with our lives in love and in line with the new commandment that Jesus gives to us. With our new covenant God gave us, this gift of no high priest, no tabernacle, why come to church? What do we gain? <laughs> That's a great question. Y'all are sitting here, and I'm telling yeah. you, you don't need any church. <laughs> so when I was thinking about this text, I was actually imagining this gift of the new covenant it's offered to us as individuals, but also we are knit together in community as God's family. So we are baptized into the new covenant, not individually, but into God's family. We are here to be with one another, to journey in discipleship, to learn from one another and to study God's word, to hear God's word preached, um, to worship God together in joyful response. Um, and I do believe that the church is the way that we are called to live in that joyful response. Um, in the pastors get together on Tuesday talking about this scripture, I also heard folks saying, you know, I feel really connected to God in nature. I feel really connected to God when I'm on my own. Yes, amen, again, the true tabernacle is open to us in any and all places. <laughs> And there are moments of beautiful transcendence we can experience with God in any place. And there's something special that happens here at church when we get together with one another, with people we didn't necessarily choose, with people from all parts of life, all walks of life. Um, and there are things that we can learn from one another as we journey in discipleship. Okay, last question, and it's the spiciest one. All right. Is this teaching of the old covenant being obsolete is this supersessionism? And can you please tell the audience what supersessionism is? Because I had to Google it. That's okay. This is a great question. So I, when I was first made aware that this would be the text I would be preaching from, was worried about this very thing. So supersessionism, and please call and correct me if I'm wrong, but is the idea that the Christian faith supersedes and is superior to the Jewish faith, that um, the Jewish faith should be discarded, um, should be no longer kind of practiced. That can get dangerous very quickly. Um, I was sharing on Tuesday, I grew up in a predominantly Jewish town. 
Um, my, I think about 80% of my classmates, my friends were Jewish. Um, so I, I was quite uncomfortable um, and was worried about supersessionism as I was studying this text and reading commentaries. So I think the answer is, it is no, it's not supersessionism. That old covenant, um, again, in Hebrews, Apollos traces Jesus' very priestly ministry back all the way to Melchizedek back into the Old Testament, back even before the Jewish religion was established in the earliest seeds and roots of our faith, of our Judeo-Christian faith. Um, our baptism is into this new and old covenant. Um, God has done something new in the new covenant and has renewed and fulfilled God's promises. That does not mean, again, that the old covenant was bad or it's, it's been renewed in this new covenant. Um, but I think that that's a wonderful question, and I think especially given our current times, one that we ought to be thoughtful about and, and consider. Um, and I'm glad to think about that more and perhaps get a more complete response back. Thank you so much. That was a very difficult question. So thank sure. you for being honest and open to answering it. And y'all had a lot of questions and Colin will answer them tomorrow on Facebook awesome. Live. Thank y'all.